three, two, one. All right, everybody, welcome to episode number 63 of the Between the Cracks podcast. I'm your host, Bill, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Chris. Chris, we are on borrow time, bud, because we are back for the second straight week in a row. So we have to cut right to the chase. We don't have enough time for small talk because we have a great topic for our listeners tonight, bud. I, I am actually very excited about this, and I've been looking into this case for quite a few weeks now. And it actually deals, believe it or not, Chris, with an abandoned hospital. Now, we have quite a few abandoned psychiatric centers in our area. And if you go back to, I believe it was episode 9, which is the Haunted Hudson Valley, we uh, went around and did a tour of the different abandoned haunted places in our area. But for the sake of tonight's topic, Chris, we are going out of town. Quite a bit of distance out of town, pal. Because tonight, little buddy, we are discussing the abandoned Kempton Park Hospital in the Houting province of South Africa. That's right, bud. For the first time in BTC history, the boys are headed to South Africa. How excited are you about that? I gotta say, I'm not really thrilled with the idea, so I think you're going to take the trip... By your lonesome. (laughs) (laughs) That's not good. But I'll tell you one thing, dude. The reason I picked this topic is because I am both fascinated and terrified by abandoned places. And you know me, Chris. I like to fancy myself somewhat of uh, an urban explorer. Really? (laughs) Just stick to the script, Chris. (laughs) Well, I, I do have to agree with you. There's something very eerie about an abandoned place, and especially hospitals, psychiatric wards, etc. Of course, you can look at an abandoned hospital or a psych center and be terrified by it. But also, when I look at a place that used to have so much life and, and like a thriving commerce that's just abandoned now, that freaks me out. And more specifically, what I'm talking about in this day and age are malls. There is something about an abandoned mall that just freaks me out. I don't like it. Because it's such a large space, and it gives you that like weird Chernobyl-esque vibe, as if like an entire town was abandoned. Because it's such a large space, and it's just like very eerie. Well, that's it too. And we have, what's funny, we have one up here, the Hudson Valley Mall. This place, I mean, it might as well be abandoned. There's like a store in there or whatnot. But what they did <laughs> to try to create um, a, a more homey feeling is that they they just threw up a bunch of drywall, painted it, and threw a rug on the floor. So it's still an abandoned mall, but like, you know, they have like a kiosk in the middle of it, like selling like some bullshit jewelry and maybe like a sneaker store. And that's it. That's all that's in there. I'll tell you what, abandoned or not, there will always be a jewelry store. <laughs> <laughs> right. You are little buddy. Right. You are. So, Chris, uh, how about you get in your seat and uh, strap on your little seatbelt there because this flight's about to take off. Right, pal? And we don't have time for any more games. We gotta get started on tonight's episode. So, Chris, please put on your goddamn mask. All right. Oh, here we go. <laughs> put the mask Let's on. Get political. Put the mask on, Chris. Take your fucking seat. I don't care if you have a ticket. I don't care if you have a passport. <laughs> Let's just get on the fucking plane. Let's go. Attention, passengers. We've now reached our destination. We hope you enjoyed the flight and have a nice day. So, Chris, as I said, this abandoned hospital is located in Kempton Park, which is just roughly 30 minutes from 
the quote-unquote city of gold, Chris. That's right, the city of Johannesburg, South Africa. Johannesburg is the largest city in South Africa, and just keep that in mind, and that's going to come into play. I'm not going to tell you why just yet, but keep that in mind, because it kind of contradicts one of the excuses as to why the government proclaimed that Kempton Park Hospital closed. So, Chris, right off the bat, there's just something wrong with this place. If you go to research this place, it's very difficult to find any verifiable information. That starts right with the actual opening of the hospital itself, because you will find certain articles that say that Kempton Park Hospital opened its doors in 1978, but you will also find some that say it opened in 1976. We can't even verify the actual opening of this hospital, never mind all of the other information that we're going to get into and all the other information that this government tends to spew about old Kempton Park Hospital. What would cause a hospital to become abandoned? Was it funding? Did something happen? Like in the case of Chernobyl, obviously everyone had to just abandon uh, immediately because of basically a nuclear meltdown. But in this case, and like others, there's usually something controversial or even criminal that happens in the hospital that takes place. Oh, right you are, and we are headed down that road, pal. I promise you that. But before we get there, I mean, we should give a little bit of a description of, of this hospital. Now, I'm looking at pictures from the 80s and even into the early 90s, and it was a beautiful hospital. It was on a beautiful piece of property. It had 350 beds. I believe the thing was over nine or ten stories high. It had a beautiful acreage. And believe it or not, it was actually touted as the best hospital in the country for uh, quite a few years. But it didn't last because, as I said, this hospital opened its doors in 1976 or 1978. That, we don't know, but I mean, I, I'm leaning more towards 1978 based on everything I found, but uh, as everything else that we talk about in this case, it's uh, a little bit murky. So looking at all these factors here, you know, you have a great location, you have top-notch equipment, and I should also mention, Chris, it was known as one of the better pediatric hospitals in all of South Africa as well. So this place had a lot going for it, which makes it all the more strange that in the year 1996, December 26th, 1996 to be exact, the day after Christmas, Kempton Park Hospital stopped accepting new patients, and by early 1997, the hospital had closed its doors entirely. Now get this, okay, we understand that hospitals close, right? But it was the nature of the way it closed. Chris, one day they just stopped accepting patients, as I said, and a month or so later, everyone was gone. But not just gone in uh, the, the fact that they packed everything up and left. Oh, no, 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 little buddy. Everything was left there. And when I see everything, Chris, I mean everything. It was reported that over 12 million U.S. dollars, U.S. dollars, Chris, and medical equipment was left behind. Incubators, x-ray machines... Anything you can imagine. What's even crazier to me, Chris, is that boxes and boxes and filing cabinets full of confidential patient records were left at this hospital. They left it. They locked the doors and left all this behind. And if you want to get a little uh, 
deeper and darker into this, Chris, it was revealed that organs were still left behind, that they, where they actually found kidneys in glass jars, also eventually found blood splatters on walls, on examination tables, all throughout the hospital. So, uh, Bud, listening to that, <laughs> and, 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 and knowing time, what man. we know, you know, having this hospital having lasted a mere 20 years, if that, riddle me this, pal. What the hell happened here? Well, I'll have to take a guess. Malpractice, perhaps? You know, we're, we're getting into guessing as to why this place is closed, and that's what we have to do. We have to guess because the South African government is so tight-lipped to this day. They refuse to give any definitive answers as to why Kempton Park closed its doors in such an abrupt manner, right? They have talked for years that they're going to reinvest money in it, and reopen its doors, you know, turn it into a, a rehab facility and whatnot. None of these things ever came to fruition. Nothing's ever happened to it. Long story short, the Kempton Park Hospital is still abandoned to this day. But let's go backwards for a second, because there are many factors that can go into the reasons for a hospital for having closed its doors. And I mean, let's not... Uh, be naive here you know the medical business is just that it's a business you know and and these people are there to make money so obviously if they are not making money or turning a profit that could be one reason they allude to that a little bit but they also state that they had various staffing issues where they could not find enough nurses and doctors to work there now that was one statement they gave but then a few months later, they contradicted themselves by saying that they didn't have enough patients at the hospital to create a sustainable facility. So, Chris, we got to ask ourselves, which one is it, pal? Is there a staffing shortage or is there a patient shortage? Right? That's how elusive this whole story gets. I can't imagine a patient shortage would be an issue or a staffing shortage, but if you're talking about a place that's what, you said 30 minutes away from the largest city yes. in South Africa? I doubt patient shortage would be an issue. Thank you very much, Chris, because now I get to go full circle on the point I made at the beginning of the show. And that was the fact that it was located right outside of Johannesburg. And Chris, did you know that Johannesburg was a megacity? I did not, and I'm not even sure I know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I'm saying it so smugly, Chris, because I have never heard of the term megacity until this week. Um, but let me give you a little uh, quick rundown, because this is an important factor into what we were just talking about. A megacity is a very large city, typically with a population of more than 10 million people. 10 million people within a half-hour ride of Kempton Park Hospital. Now... There is no way in hell you can convince me that a city with over 10 million people with a hospital a mere 30 minutes away could possibly have a patient shortage, as the government has suggested. Am I right, Chris? The only reason why you'd have a patient shortage is if the patients didn't want to go to your hospital because there's something fucking weird going on. Oh, and uh, you alluded to something along those lines uh, regarding malpractice. 
earlier, Chris, and uh, you're alluding to it again, bud, and uh, I'm, I'm getting the hint, and we're getting there. Okay, Chris, we're, we're getting there. Because there was something very dark and diabolical to ever go down in medical malpractice history. <laughs> That's right, bud. It took place here at Kempton Park Hospital. That is when a man by the name of Dr., quote-unquote Dr., Andre Esterhausen was hired by Kempton Park to be an on-site pediatrician at this facility. You may ask, what's so crazy about that? Well, Chris, let me tell you, Eisterhausen had no formal training. That's right, he had no medical training whatsoever. Mr. Eisenhausen was actually a high school dropout with a very high IQ, mind you, and he had to have a very high IQ in order to fake his way into this type of position. Could you imagine this, Chris? A high school dropout becoming one of the lead pediatricians at a newly constructed hospital just outside the megacity of Johannesburg, South Africa. So can you believe that, Chris? How the hell could this guy have maneuvered his way into this position? I mean, I guess imagine back then it would be a little easier than it would be today. But, you know, you just, I'm assuming, have to have the right documentation at least to make it look... <laughs> well, it's funny you say that because... <laughs> All the things that I found on uh, Dr. Esterhausen or Esther... What are you saying, Chris? Esther Heeson? Esther Huisen. Esther Huisen was that, <laughs> that, that this guy, he never showed any verification of any kind of degree, whether it be medical or any other study. So this guy, basically, what he did early on in his career is he convinced another pediatrician to let him come work with him in his practice so i guess he did that for a number of years and while he was there he was studying all the things that this pediatrician was doing and for years on end he would just read every piece of medical literature that he could find so much so that he was actually able to fake his way through this and having worked with that pediatrician for a number of years he decided to leave there and <laughs> get this chris he started his own practice and from there, he eventually was hired by Kempton Park Hospital to be one of their leading pediatricians. All this without any verification. Now, yes, this Esther Heeson, or Housen, whatever the hell he wants to call himself, is a douchebag liar. And he's responsible for all the things that we're about to tell you. But, Chris, doesn't the hospital have to take some kind of responsibility for their lack of due diligence and inability to even do a, a, a small background check on this guy. I mean, you, I mean, it's like me walking in there and saying I'm a doctor. Yeah, can you imagine going to a, like a high-profile job interview and being like, um, yeah, this is my previous background and um, you're just going to have to take my word for it. All in all, that's pretty much what happened here. He didn't have to verify anything that he told them. And I mean, just how insane. And like, yes, it is in the early 80s into the early 90s. But my God, man, I mean, at that point, you, you can still verify credentials. Hiring someone without doing your due diligence and without checking their credentials is bad enough. But when you have someone in such a position of trust and responsibility as a doctor, especially to those, the most vulnerable children, I mean responsibility falls completely on this hospital. The odd thing here is that, as we said, Esther Heeson 
Towson, whatever fuck this douchebag wants to call himself, he had a very high IQ and he studied day and night so much so that he was able to fake his way through this. And he treated nearly 5,000 children from 1982 up until his dismissal in 1990. So for nearly, nearly eight years, I think it was seven plus years, he treated over 5,000 kids. And the destruction that we are about to tell you about, when you compare it to all the patients that he had seen over the years, this could have been far, far worse. But thankfully, Chris, after years, like I said, almost eight years, his reign of terror finally came to an end when the parents of some of the children that we're going to be talking about questioned why their baby ended up in such deteriorated health and in some cases, death. Knowing that he's seen all these kids through the years, I wonder if the actions that we're going to talk about, if they were purposeful or it was just due to lack of knowledge on his part and he basically started to show his true self and the fact that he had no medical background. And uh, we might as well get into it because, Chris, he actually was responsible, and this comes out in court records, that he caused the cerebral palsy in quite a few little children. And he did that by administering unnecessary lumbar punches to the child. And some of these children were only four months old. There was another mother who went on to say that he actually went so far where he was trying to administer a drip into a child but could not find the vein. So what he did was make an incision and insert the IV through that incision in her chest, causing her lungs to collapse and eventually die. Obviously, I know he's got a high IQ and he's able to bullshit his way through probably sounding like he knows what he's talking about. But then when it came down to actually doing these procedures, I mean, how long did it fucking take for someone to figure out maybe this guy doesn't know what he's doing? And when you're talking about these lumbar punches, right, and, 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 and these punctures that you're administering into a small baby's spine, and, and think about the skill that has to go into that procedure, and this guy just not being skilled enough to do it. When you're dealing with the spine, I mean, you are just playing with fire, especially within these young patients, Think about the other case that I mentioned where he couldn't find the vein, so he made a small incision in the chest. At what point do any of the doctors or nurses in this facility begin to question Esther Heisen's conduct? You know, I mean, you can't find a vein, so you cut the baby's chest open and, and, and administer a line that way. As I said, that caused the baby's lungs to collapse, and then a few days later, she was transferred to a hospital in Johannesburg and died of kidney failure. There has to be a point where you, you just have to realize that the, that the hospital is just being completely naive about this entire thing. And because, like you said, the government is very hush-hush still to this day, they clearly don't want to take blame or, or say anything that might put them in a position where they, they could be sued or, or have a legal battle of some sort. If you'll allow me, Chris, I'm going to read a little bit from this Kempton Express article that I found, and I'm going to read a little bit from this just because it describes some of the horrific things that he did to these young patients. So uh, let me get into that, and I quote, Esther Heisen also diagnosed meningitis in another four-month-old girl in 1988. He did a lumbar punch, and we talked about that lumbar punch, and prescribed medication. As she deteriorated, 
He changed her medication, and a brain scan was done. Thereafter, two more lumbar punches were done by him, after which a further scan revealed that she had suffered brain damage. The baby was admitted to a home for cerebral palsy sufferers, end quote. And that child is still alive to this day. Could you imagine that? The damage that this guy inflicted and ruined this young baby's life. We said he saw almost 5,000 kids. How many more kids were victims of his that we just don't know about? I'm sure there's a lot. There there had to be because this hospital ended up conducting an investigation, but something tells me that they went digging, saw a bunch of stuff they didn't like, and, and basically stopped the investigation, and he was then tried in a court of law. Because to me, you know, Upon looking at this, there should have been a lot more victims uh, than what we were able to uh, find here. And let me just go back to this article quickly. I just want to read this last little section. A baby girl born in July of 1988 at Kempton Park Hospital was very tiny at birth. Esther Heisen treated her. At first, the baby did well, but was then put in an oxygen tent because a quote-unquote problem occurred. I think what's happening here is Esther Heisen is finding himself in situations that he has obviously no idea how to deal with. And we, we see that just from the lumbar punches alone. You know, one lumbar punch didn't work. So you do a second, a third, a fourth, until a brain scan reveals that their child is brain dead. So are we dealing with a sociopath here, well, I mean, which obviously we must be to some degree, or are we dealing with someone who's trying to actually fix the problem? We don't know. Either way, you're still an idiot. Yeah. Absolutely. But here's uh, the, the one thing that I found very interesting uh, in this article. There's a section for comments, dude. And get this. This comment was left in 2014 by a woman who said that her son was born in April of 89. And Esther Heisen was the pediatrician. And I'm going to read verbatim what this uh, comment says. My son never had any problems under his care and actually thrived All the medication prescribed was effective as my son suffered from severe croup. He is now a strapping young man of 25 years. I was astounded to learn at the time that he was not a qualified medical practitioner as he knew exactly what he was talking about. And and, and think about that. Think about all these families that he fooled. Yeah, I mean, I suppose in in certain circumstances where... There's an easy cure or fix. I'm, I'm not saying this guy didn't know what he was talking about in some aspects, but it's one thing to make recommendations on a very harmless disorder or case. But when it comes to situations where, which we've obviously found out, where he's not really sure how to do it, and, it, and it's a very sensitive situation where where the slightest wrong thing could cause permanent damage or death. Like that's when you just gotta call it quits, man. Give it up. You're already a criminal at that point, but now you're putting yourself in a position where you're a murderer. You hit the nail on the head, man. I mean, is this ego? Is this guy just a a sociopath? I mean, if you had this much passion about medicine, why didn't you just use that energy and put it in the right direction to become an actual doctor if that's what you wanted to do so badly? But anyway, Chris, we come to find out that in May of 1992, I was going to say justice was served, but I'm not so sure. Because in May of 1992, as I said, Esther Heisen received, are you ready for this, Chris? An 18-year prison sentence. 
Yes, that's right. For all the damage that he did to those children, the deaths that he's caused, the irreversible damage that he's caused, the negative effects that he's had on this community, on the medical field itself, on the hospital, all this damage that this guy did, his sentence was but a mere 18 years. And if that doesn't piss you off enough, Chris, as of today, he is free and walking the streets. Wow. So he was found guilty of two charges of fraud, mm-hmm. three of assault, and over 10 of culpable homicide. As well as impersonating a doctor and you know, the defrauding of patients, as you had alluded to. Now with that as our backdrop, that takes us down two different roads here. We talked about liability and malpractice, which might have caused the hospital to close. And if you're asking me, I think that uh, uh, the fake doctor here played a huge role in this. And although he was convicted and sentenced in 1992, as we said, the doors of the hospital stayed open until 1997. So was this a direct result of the hospital closing or was there something else going on that we just don't know about because it makes no sense to me dude as we stated earlier that all the equipment was still left there because there were hospitals in johannesburg that showed pictures of kids newborn babies using cardboard boxes as incubators so all this medical equipment that was left behind as i said 12 million dollars worth was left behind untouched that could have been given to other hospitals in the area or around the world to help people but it wasn't so what caused everyone to just up and leave in such a dramatic fashion was it the malpractice of esther heisen or did we have some kind of i don't know radioactive spill or some kind of experimental procedure go completely wrong it is confusing why they did leave all that stuff there because as you said i mean we're talking about you know you said 12 million dollars um american roughly which is like 170 million in the in the south african rand so it's no uh nothing to shake a stick at but one interesting theory as to why the hospital remained open for six years or so after was because apparently they wanted to hide this incident that occurred with Andre Esterhuisen. And I think perhaps by them not closing immediately after kind of gave them the impression that that's, you know, that wasn't a major issue because, you know, they they were able to still run for an additional six years. I'm wondering now that you brought that up, if they had this guy in pediatrics without the correct credentials or any credentials at all for that matter, I wonder if they did a sweeping investigation along the hospital and found out that uh, maybe there are a few more Esther Heisen's hiding. They said enough was enough and let's uh, close up shop. It could be too, because, you know, in a situation where the hospital stays open and they discover this whole issue with this doctor, the legal assault, I wonder what situation that would put them in versus closing the hospital... And, you know, I'm not really sure what the statute of limitations is on issues like this. And I think some are, there are none. But if they're able to close the hospital at this point and kind of just like, I don't know, brush everything under the carpet here, I I don't know what ultimately closes the hospital. I I suppose that 
this was that big of a deal, which it seems like it, it was, that it could cripple the entire place. So it's almost like they're like, let's quickly close before something's discovered. Well, that's what I'm looking at it, and uh, you know, he was convicted in '92. So obviously, that investigation started in 1990 when it all came to light. We see it a bunch of times already that he had seen roughly 5,000 kids, and the number of deaths and other incidences could very well be much higher than what we have here on record. You know, and perhaps the hospital investigated it, and they stopped their investigation halfway through and said, you know what, this guy is a fraud. We can't possibly handle anymore. So we got to nip this investigation in the bud and just, you know, admit guilt to the parents that complained and close the, the door on, on, on this guy. And then maybe they just did an additional uh, sweeping investigation on all the other medical practitioners in the hospital. And they found some things that they did not like down the road and said enough is enough because... Yes, they did close in 97, but remember I said that they stopped admitting new patients abruptly on December 26th, 1996. So you have a hospital with 350 beds, all these different units, top-of-the-line equipment, with a city with over 10 million people in it right next door, and you stop admitting patients immediately? So they found something there that they didn't like, and again, it didn't close till early 97, so they started easing their way out you know they first started not accepting any more patients and probably moving those patients that they did have there to other facilities and then after that they just left and i'm looking at this and if you look up the pictures i posted a couple of and i'll post some more there were actually instances of cups of coffee and food just left out at the nurse's station that's how abruptly everything was just kind of left but why why oh why if the hospital was already sued a number of times, and especially the situation they find themselves in with Esther Heisen here, why would they leave all those confidential patient records? I mean, that that is a, I don't know South African law, but you do that shit here. I mean, you are playing with fire with HIPAA and any other kind of regulations within uh, patient rights that you'd have here in the States. I don't know, man. I am uh, befuddled by this. Let's, uh... Let's just uh, <laughs> throw a dart against the wall and see where it sticks here, Chris. Now, with all that said, pal, looking at it, everything we discussed, why? Why, oh, why did this place close? Not only why did it close, my question to you is, Chris, why did it close so abruptly? I don't think there could have been anything in terms of like a spill or something, at least whatever it was, like not radioactive especially because otherwise there wouldn't be tours going through it. but it's it's i think it seems to me like after this whole issue unfolded and they realized what kind of legal nightmare they could have end up going through they, they decided that it would make more sense to just close the hospital why they left the shit behind no idea yeah, I mean, it, it definitely is puzzling um, but uh, I think I might have it figured out, Chris <laughs> and I wanted to you save. I wanted to save this for the end. I wanted to impress you tonight, little pal. Um, so I'm looking at all of this as I always do at the end. All right. So we have this whole thing that went down with uh, old Esther Heisen here, the child murderer. And I like the point that you made where 
they tried to play it off and make it last a little bit longer as if, yes, this was an incident, but we're still providing good care to all the other patients and within the hospital walls. But we go back to December 26, 1996, that day after Christmas, when they decided to stop admitting new patients. And in a few months after that, everybody was gone. And it played out as an evacuation scene. So much so that they actually built a fence around a hospital and would not allow anybody in. So my theory is this, Chris. They made it look and appear as if it was some kind of toxic release. And as you're saying, not radioactive, but some type of toxic chemical exposure that they needed to leave and leave instantaneously. That's the reason that the records were left there, the equipment was left there. And I'm wondering if they put that up just to kind of play it up where they can no longer be investigated. So much so where we can no longer let investigators in to to see what they can drudge up because it's just far too dangerous. You understand what I'm trying to say? Yeah, I get what you mean. That they're trying. It was like a, a block on investigation because they deem the area hazardous that they're not allowed to, you know, continue the investigation. I don't know, but they, wouldn't there have to be some sort of like an announcement in that case for anything like nearby? Well, the, I, I'm thinking that the, the Department of Health and, and their government there had to be in on this. I mean, they must. Oh, they had to see this, and maybe they just came up with this grand scheme. Like, listen, we got to quarantine this thing, block it off. Nobody's in there. Let's just play it up like it's a a zombie apocalypse, and we got to get out here and close it down. We have not gotten one ounce of truth out of uh, this government in South Africa. Like There's been a number of times in the early 2000s, even into uh, present day, where they said they were, they were going to attempt to rebuild this, as I said, and make it into a new facility. Each and every time, nothing has happened. So, you're right. If there was a danger there to you know the citizens, obviously, it would be completely shut off, I- I'm guessing, but I-, I think that this is just Maybe another uh, visual manipulation on the part of the government there trying to disparage any kind of further investigation. Either way, we know how governments work. When they want to cover something up, it gets covered up. You are not kidding. But fortunately for us, Chris, there are urban explorers that have the balls to go into these places, take pictures, and share them online with people like us that would know nothing about this. And they can show us the inside of this place and show us what is being covered up. Because if we didn't have these urban explorers and these people sneaking in there, we would never know that the files were left open, that their medical equipment went to waste, that there were organs in jars. We wouldn't know any of this. And one of the other funny things that I found here, Chris, is that, you know, that, as I said, they got the fence around this place and they employ security guards 24-7. But it is widely known for a small fee. The guards will let you sneak through and do a little exploring of your own. Can you imagine the government making money off of uh, ghost tours? <laughs> well, I'm sure these uh, these guards are probably getting paid so little that, you know, whatever, I'll take it. So, Chris, I mean, that's it. Your guess is as good as mine, and our guess is as good as anybody else's. Who the hell knows what happened there, and who the hell knows what's going on there till this day? <laughs> we sure as hell don't. But uh, that's it, bud. So let me get the rundown, and we can get the hell on out of here. If you want to get... <clears throat> You want to get in touch with us? You can reach us at btcpod2020 at gmail.com. If you want to get in touch with us on Instagram, you can reach us at 
Between the Cracks podcast. I will get in touch with you there. Um, if you would like to become one of our lovely patrons, you can do so by clicking the link in the show notes. If you don't want to do that, we do also have a merch store, which is at teespring.com, and I am getting ready to venture away from them. We'll get to it down the road, but the link to uh, that merch shop will be in the show notes as well. Whew. Now, with all that said, Chris, what do you say we wish to find, find people out in podcast land? The fondest. Oh. A farewells. Oh, man, I could not get my fucking words out today. Jesus. Good fucking luck, oh, man. All right, bro. Thanks, dude. All right. All right.